Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Body by B podcast. I hope you're all having a wonderful day, whatever you're up to. I've just finished work and just eaten, I'm not kidding, about 100, maybe 150 grams of pick and mix. I'm not advocating that you should do this by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm absolutely delighted because I haven't eaten pick and mix properly since maybe September due to parosmia. So I was just absolutely elated that I could actually eat some sweets. And the reason why I'm saying this is there's this kind of old debate with my friends and I around what the best pick and mix sweet is. So I'm not going to tell you what my favourite is, but if you can let me know, message me on Instagram, send me an email, whatever, what your favourite sweet is, because I want some unbiased, um, what's the word? Market research? Not quite, but you get my point. Uh, I want you guys to let me know what the best pick and mix sweet is because I think that I am definitely right here, but it will be interesting to see what everybody else thinks. Okay, so we're on to more important. Is it important? Don't know. Is it interesting? Not sure. Probably not more so than pick and mix, but anyway, on to more geeky stuff. So the topic that I want to cover today is not Q&A. It is a topic of a question that I'm not, I'm not kidding. I probably get asked this well, at least once a day. It's definitely a top five question that people ask. And it's very misunderstood in the industry. And there's a load of rubbish going around about it, especially at the moment um, where people are, quote unquote, cutting following their Christmas break and their, quote unquote, bulking that they've done over Christmas. We'll get to that in a second. As you can see, I'm using air quotes here because I think it's a load of rubbish. But anyway, The point I'm trying to get to eventually is what we're going to talk about is the question, how do I gain muscle and lose fat at the same time? I mean, ultimately, that's what everybody wants, right? Like, that's the dream. Essentially, it's quote unquote, again, toning. Really hate that word. Really hate the word toning, as you all know. But that's basically what toning is. It's increasing your muscle mass and reducing your body fat. And there's a lot of rubbish um, in the industry about kind of doing them both simultaneously so losing weight or losing fat and building muscle and some people say you can't do that you have to do one or the other and uh, that is simply not true so in this episode I'm going to talk you through why that is not true and then hopefully be able to provide you with some actual practical ways and practical tips to go away and implement this if you should so wish you obviously do not have to um, but yeah, a lot of people ask this question, so I thought it might be a good one to to kind of chat through in a bit of detail. So where do we start then? So kind of as I said just then, bulking and cutting, I really, really, really hate this like, phrase. And for some athletes, it's relevant, right? I get it. If you're a bodybuilder, yes, you do have to go through a bulk and cut cycle most of the time. Not always. Once again, there are exceptions to the rule here. But most of the time, yes. And rationale for that being, as a bodybuilder, you go literally from one extreme to the other, right? So you are going to like a ridiculously low body fat, like that none of us would ever, ever be able to sustain. And as a result of that, you have no fat left on you pretty much when you then need to go and build some muscle. So, you know, normal people or normal average people, let's say kind of, you know, you and I, 
We don't need to go through these extremes of going on to ridiculously low calories and really kind of manipulating our our diet and our training just to get lean. Like you can get relatively lean just by following kind of a generic calorie deficit, doing your steps, doing your resistance training, yada, yada, yada. So when we think about how do you actually do it then practically not not kind of from an athlete's perspective or from a bodybuilding perspective I'm talking about you know an average person you know 30 year old mum that's got three kids how does that person actually increase the muscle mass and reduce the fat at the same time simple right so you have to do two things simultaneously so the first thing is you need to eat in a calorie deficit funny that I bet you're all really surprised that I've come out with that cracker today and then the second thing is you need to optimally, or not, well, not necessarily optimally, but you need to stimulate in the best way that you can muscle protein synthesis, okay? And I'll come to that in a second because it sounds a bit geeky and a bit sciencey. is a little bit, but it doesn't have to be. So eating in a calorie deficit. I've talked about this a little bit on the last episode, so I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail around what that looks like. As always, you know, feel free to shoot me a message if you want any help with it. But essentially, to lose fat, you need to eat less calories than you expend. There are a variety of ways that you can create said deficit. The easiest way is to decrease the amount of food that you're eating. You can also increase your activity. So that could be your planned exercise, so your gym sessions, your swimming, your dance classes, whatever that is. Um, and also your non-exercise activity thermogenesis or your NEAT, which is essentially all the activity you do that doesn't fall into planned exercise. So your housework, kind of taking the dog for a walk, um, you know, playing with the kids, all of that kind of stuff still counts towards your, your calorie expenditure. Okay, so think about it almost like, well, not almost like, it is an equation, right? So you've kind of got your in and your out. Your out needs to be higher than your in. Simple as that. And then on your in, you've got your food and your drink and everything that you consume. It's literally just food and drink, by the way. Just supplements and all that rubbish we'll kind of put to one side for a second. And then on your out, you've got exercise and also um, kind of any activity. There is also the thermic effect of food and your basal metabolic rate. But for the purpose of this conversation, we're just going to focus on activity um, and calories in. Okay. So we all know really if we wanted to eat less calories we probably knew how to do that might be difficult i'm not saying that it's easy at all by any stretch of the imagination but ultimately the process is simple right you know eat less crisps drink less wine use less oil in your cooking eat more fruit and veg really yeah like it's not too difficult obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that but but ultimately eat less food that's high calorie and then you will obviously have less calories overall. Okay. When it comes to the expending, you've got a couple of different options, right? So yes, you can increase your planned exercise. Some people do find though, when they do that, especially if it's a lot of cardio, um, that their hunger goes up a lot. So they then somehow seem to kind of almost eat back the calories that they've expended through exercise doesn't happen to everybody and some interesting science on it because the studies actually don't suggest that it does happen but anecdotally most people do say it does so like for example myself if I went and did an hour swimming like lane swimming today 
I would be starving afterwards and I would easily eat back those calories. Um, I don't know if that's similar for you. Um, but yeah, the science is interesting. As I say, like the, the limited studies that they've done on it suggest that that isn't the case and it's more of a placebo effect. Um, but I mean, you know, science isn't perfect, right? Sometimes studies don't test exactly what they're meant to test. We all acknowledge and understand that. So so that's just one thing to bear in mind if you're thinking about really upping your activity. Are you the kind of person that will get more hungry if they do so? And then, you know, if you are tracking your calories, that can then be quite difficult because you might then feel a bit restricted if you're really hungry and then you're, you know, you're trying not to go over your calorie goal. And then if you're not tracking your calories, you're more likely to just eat more anyway and then not kind of become in a calorie deficit overall. So, so that's one way that you can do it, increase planned exercise. And then the second way you can do it, which is my favourite and you guys know I'm always going about this, is just increase your steps. All right. So if you don't already have one, get an activity tracker. You can get them for like 20, 30 quid online um, or even on your phone. Like you can get like free pedometer apps. Just track how many steps you're doing. Yeah. So ideally you want to be doing kind of anywhere between six and 10,000 as a minimum. This 10,000 steps a day stuff that oh, got got a bit of a love-hate relationship with this because, yes, I think that is a very good thing to aim for. But practically for some people, it's unachievable and it's unrealistic. So it can be demotivating and then that then results in them actually not doing any steps, right? So basically, the moral of the story is just get more steps in. So if you're doing 1,000 at the moment, aim for 2,000. If you're doing 5,000, aim for 7,000. You get the point, right? Because the more steps you do, the more calories you're burning, and then you're creating more of a calorie deficit, providing you don't eat it the other way. But steps are really good, so for a couple of reasons, right? So firstly, your body doesn't recognise them really as exercise. So you are less likely to feel fatigued. You are less likely to need to recover. I mean, did about you. If I did an hour in the gym, I went and trained legs for an hour, probably need to recover the next day well can't say probably I will because I trained legs yesterday I can barely move right now hence why I just ate a load of pick a mix right however if I did an hour's walking that's fine I could I could do that again tomorrow no biggie so that's a good thing because it takes your recovery time down also means you can do more overall as well and there's a debate that which is ongoing and I have with many many people around what's better for fat loss running or walking And the short answer is whichever one you can consistently do, but really it's walking. And although you might feel that you burn more calories running, actually step for step, you don't really. And you don't have the the recovery time, right? Um, So actually walking overall, if you think about, let's say you can recover from three runs a week and you burn X calories, but then you could recover from five walks three times as long per week if you actually top that up and do the maths you probably burnt more calories in the walking and you haven't felt like you've done anything which is really good so as I say your fatigue is down your sleep is typically a little bit better for a lot of people their hunger is better I will caveat though some people do find that they get hungry from increasing their steps just because it's an increase in in expenditure which is normal So just keep an eye on that and everybody is different, but I would recommend, um, you know, if you don't know where to start in creating calorie deficit steps is definitely a hundred million squillion percent the first place to start. 
When it comes to working out how much of a calorie deficit you should be in, this one is quite variable, okay? So for somebody who has a lot more fat to lose, they can get away with a much larger calorie deficit and still be able to build muscle. And we'll come to that bit in just a second, all right? For somebody who is already quite lean, they may need to be closer to maintenance or even at maintenance, depending on how much body fat they have available to them. And the reason for this is when you are building muscle, as I say, which we'll come on to in, the, in a sec, you need energy from somewhere. OK, so this whole kind of bulk and cut thing has come from. So when you're in a book for people that don't know this terminology, sorry, I'm just assuming that people know what I'm talking about here. But a lot of you probably won't. You'll be like, well, what is she going on about bulking and cutting? So bulking is a, you know, a term that some people it's come from bodybuilding, but some people say when they are in a calorie surplus, i.e. they are eating more calories than their body needs on a daily basis. The purpose of a bulk is to gain muscle. So you'll see people, you'll see memes possibly on, on social media saying like, oh yeah, it's bulking season or perma bulk. Basically when people are just eating loads of food, it's a joke, right? They're just saying that they're eating loads of food and they're just pretending that actually they're doing it because they're trying to get really strong and really muscular. So that, that's what bulking is, okay? A lot of people take that way too far and they have way too many calories because your body can only use a certain amount of calories um, to kind of convert to muscle before the rest gets stored as body fat. But that's a whole other topic for another day, so I'll save that one. Um, but that's what bulking is. And cutting is essentially the opposite. So it's just a glorified word of dieting, cut it, like cutting your body fat. Um, and once again, it's kind of bodybuilding, sorry, terminology. So how do you actually build the muscle then? So we know the environment now to lose the fat, calorie deficit or close-ish to maintenance if you've got a little bit less fat on you. But how do you actually build the muscle? So it's actually quite simple. So a couple of things you need to do if you do them consistently. Happy days, okay? So you need to resistance train. And I'm not saying you need to get in a gym and you have to get under a barbell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have to use some resistance on your muscles, on your body, in your body, on your body, whatever. So that could be body weight resistance training at home. That could be in a gym. Most cardio doesn't really count. Some does. So maybe some sprinting potentially counts. Some high intensity cycling sometimes counts. It's almost like, well, think of the term resistance. Like if somebody's resisting against you or if there's a resistance, like water resistance or something, it's something pushing back. Yeah. So think about that in an exercise term. So resistance training essentially is either your body weight or a weight pushing back at you or gravity. Right. So when we're talking about resistance training, if there's kind of a force pushing back against you, then you can loosely count that as resistance training. So like if you were pedaling on a bike and um, you had a really high resistance up and you're really having to use your muscles to kind of push you up a hill and to kind of push those pedals around. Technically, that can be classed as resistance training. But for the purpose of this, I'm going to talk about it in kind of the um, what's the word? traditional term um, resistance training, i.e. kind of weight training and in the gym or at home. So you need to do resistance training, okay? And this is important 
because that is what creates muscle protein synthesis, which I'll come on to in a second. And one of the key things with resistance training is you need to make sure that you are using progressive overload. So this is another terminology you may have heard. So what progressive overload essentially means is each time you train, you're wanting to train that little bit harder. So I'll put it in the context of weight training in a gym. Okay, let's say, just for the purpose of this, you want to progressively overload your squats. Let's say you normally do three sets of 10 repetitions at 30 kilos. So you've got a few ways that you can progressively overload that set. Okay, so let's just say that's your baseline. Week one. So week two, you could either increase the repetitions. So instead of doing 10 repetitions, you could do 11 or 12, let's see. You could increase the set. So you could do an extra set. So you're kind of adding more volume in. You could increase the weight. So you could do maybe 35 kilos instead of 30. And you can also do things just to make it a little bit more difficult. So you might want to slow down your repetitions. You might want to add a pause in at the bottom to make that, that more difficult and then progress your muscles that way. And if you're all out of options there, you can also reduce your rest time because that also makes it more difficult. But in an ideal world, the simplest way to do it is to increase your weight each week. Okay. So. In terms of resistance training, increasing your weight, reps, sets, whatever, just progressively overloading every time you train. And that is important because to grow your muscles, so basically to, you know, to build muscle, you have to go through something called hypertrophy or hypotrophy or however people say it. I still don't even know how you how you pronounce that. And I'm a personal trainer. Is it hypertrophy? I don't because someone let me know, I've got no idea. Um, anyway, so you have to go through this this process called hypertrophy. Hypertro- <laughs> I'm delirious. Hypertrophy. 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 Let's go with that. And essentially, what hypertrophy is is your muscles are breaking down and repairing bigger in a very crude, basic way. Okay, so you need a stimulus for them to start breaking down. Essentially, you're damaging them, okay? So it's it's metabolic stress or damage. Um, You're kind of breaking those muscle fibers apart and then you are building them back up. And the result of that build back up is increased strength, increased muscle size, increased endurance, okay? So to that first part of the breaking down, you need to hit your training hard, okay? So you need to progressively overload each week it's important that you progressively overload because your muscles get used to it if you're just doing the same thing every single week your muscles aren't going to need to break down and repair again because they're they're used to the stimulus that they don't need to adapt so you need to be constantly changing the goalposts in terms of kind of how much weight you're lifting or how many reps etc you're doing so your muscles are continuously adapting and when i say changing the goalposts Please don't get it mixed up with shocking your body with a new exercise regime every... By the way, you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes again because this is a load of rubbish. Shocking your body with a new exercise regime every two weeks to shock my metabolic system. That's some crap I saw this week. And honestly, I just... I can't cope with it. You don't need to do that. Stick to a basic program. You don't need any frills. Honestly, it's it's simple. God, honestly, it's people. 
Anyway, so progressively overload every week or every workout if you can. Sometimes you won't be able to do that, right? So sometimes you'll be really tired. You might not have eaten very well. You might be a bit dehydrated. You might be a bit stressed, low on time, etc. You might not be able to kind of push yourself every single session. That's okay too, all right? But as long as you have the intent there and you are trying and you're not just totally plateauing and doing the same thing every time, then you will be creating enough stimulus to do one element of muscle protein synthesis. Okay, so that's kind of the first part of muscle protein synthesis. What about the other part? So what about the actual building that muscle back up? And funnily enough, as the name suggests, this is to do with protein, okay? So there's many, many, many benefits of eating protein, especially when you are dieting. Not going to go through them all now because we'll be here, honestly, until like Tuesday. But when it comes to building muscle specifically, protein is key. Because on a very broad level, I think I covered this last time, protein is broken down into amino acids. Amino acids are what we use in our body to build protein. Build protein, I mean build muscle. Oh my gosh. I think like the pick and mix of the sugar's just gone to my head. So protein is broken down into amino acids. Amino acids builds up to make muscle, not protein, Brownie. Sort it out. So you need that protein to actually kind of create that muscle within your body, right? And one of the reasons why most coaches will set a protein target is just to ensure that you've got enough available to go through muscle protein synthesis, okay? So the majority of the time, if you either follow kind of, if it fits your macros, flexible dieting, or just calories and protein, you will have kind of, a, you know, a protein macronutrient target to hit each day. And it is so important. It's not as important as your calories, but it is so, so, so important to get it in. And the reason why we give a goal, like a daily goal, is it's almost like an insurance policy to ensure that you're getting enough throughout the day, so spread throughout the day, to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've lost the plot. I can't even speak. Muscle protein synthesis. It's not a difficult word. Oh my gosh. Right, to stimulate that, MPS, I'm going to just call it MPS, um, enough times throughout the day, okay? So the more times you stimulate this response, the more chance you have in building your muscles up most effectively. Right, so the reason we set a goal is, as I say, to ensure you've got the best chance in getting the, like, the frequency of MPS in. In an ideal world, what you actually want to do is aim for three or four specific times of day to eat your protein, okay? So logically, that would be at your meal times, right? So having a portion of protein at your meal times. And muscle protein synthesis depends on many things, the size of the individual being one of them, how trained they are, how much muscle they already have on them, bone density, like there's loads of different variables there. But Broadly, you want to be aiming for 25-ish grams three or four times a day. If you're a bit bigger, anything up to 40 grams. Easily done if you plan for it. If you don't plan for it, possibly not. So just as I say, just get a portion of protein in each meal. That is literally all you need. 
If you are veggie or vegan, it's a little bit more difficult. Absolutely doable. Just need to have a think about it. So things like tofu, seitan, really good options. You might want to supplement with a protein shake with your meal. Some people do that as well. Um, breakfast people find quite difficult. Like fat-free yogurt is amazing. It's like the Fahe Greek one is like, it's insane. It's basically just protein, like a sprinkling of carbohydrate in there. And obviously no fat, really good. You know, mix that with protein powder and you're on to like a double whammy of protein. So that's a really good one. I put a post up uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, on, on high protein breakfast ideas. So check that out if you haven't already. Because that's kind of the one that people struggle with. Because you don't really have meat at breakfast every day. Well, I mean, some people do. I don't. So you want to aim for at least three times a day, ideally four. So in an absolute ideal world, you want to be doing 30 grams at uh, breakfast, sorry, 30 grams at lunch, 30 grams at dinner, and then a shake maybe, or like a high protein snack throughout the day. And you want those meals to be spread evenly throughout the day, okay? Because essentially what happens with muscle protein synthesis is it peaks and then you need it to go back down to baseline and then peak again. And it's in those peaks and troughs that the actual muscle building happens. So if you are kind of constantly just grazing on protein throughout the day, you won't get the peak and trough. And if you don't get the peak and trough, you don't get the muscle protein synthesis. And if you don't get the muscle protein synthesis, your muscles don't grow efficiently. Okay. So the thing I want you to take away from this is consistent protein throughout the day, but keep it separate and keep it to your meal times and your snacks. And don't be the kind of person, <laughs> sorry, I need to think about how to say this. It's not going to sound rude. That just sips on um, branch chain amino acids. Oh my gosh, branch chain amino acids or whey protein throughout the day. If you can help, just have your shake in one go rather than drinking it as a drink throughout the day, because then that's mitigating that, you know, almost constant baseline rather than the peak and trough of, of kind of protein in your in your stomach and available within your body. You ideally want to leave at least two hours between protein feedings for it to kind of drop back down to baseline if you can. But guys, as I always say, like, this is an ideal world. This is if you're like absolutely going to manipulate it. If you don't get it perfect, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. So, you know, the main thing is, is your calorie deficit, really. And if there's one day where you only got two servings of protein spread out, oh well that just means on that day you only had two opportunities for muscle protein synthesis doesn't mean you're going to lose all your gains and I will also say when I'm saying lose all your gains <laughs> you don't need to drink a protein shake or eat something 30 minutes after your workout I've had a couple of people ask me that this week sometimes that's convenient and that's fine you don't need to do it muscle protein synthesis happens whenever like you could literally so I trained legs yesterday I haven't trained today I've had my protein throughout the day. You know, I've had my shake for the first meal of the day. I then had a bagel at lunchtime with protein cheese and corn, um, like veggie bacon in. And I will go and have a stir fry with corn again with protein in, in a second. So I, I would have then had my three servings and then I'll probably have a shake before I then go to bed. Okay. I haven't trained today and I'm not going to train today. This is my rest day. Because... My body is still recovering and it's still adapting from yesterday. So these people that say you have to train and then get your protein in, that's the only time that your muscles grow. Totally rubbish. Don't listen to them. 
Um, you know, your exercise is your stimulus and your protein is your repairing. And sometimes it takes up to a week to repair your muscles. Gosh, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes if you do a hard session, you're like struggling for a while. Like, it's not instant. You don't just like take a protein shake and like your muscles pop out like Popeye. If only it were that simple, eh? Gosh, I wouldn't have a job. But anyway, so you don't need to do that. And the other thing I guess I'll cover while I'm here is you also don't have to have protein before you train either. So like pre and post training, it's not really important for in this context. It's a little bit different for an athletic performance perspective. So if you are kind of desperately wanting to hit, you know, a personal record in the gym or, you know, more especially if you are an endurance athlete or you do kind of longer um, you know, longer duration exercise, like you're going on a cycle for three or four hours or something, then your, you know, your pre, intra and post exercise nutrition is very important. But for us normal people, not really important. Just eat whenever is good for you and what works to your schedule. You don't have to eat or not eat <laughs> before. It's just a good idea. Because if you're trying to get in four protein servings per day, it normally works out that you'd have one before gym and one after anyway, but not because you're training. That's just the way it's kind of happened, if that makes any sense. So you don't need to worry about that. And you do not need to worry. I've, I've kind of just touched on it, but I'll just cover it in a little bit more detail. You don't need to worry about branch chain amino acids. You don't need to worry about essential amino acids, really. Not not at the moment. You know, if you're a bodybuilder or a pro athlete, a little bit different. But for, you know, us regular people, absolutely don't need to worry about it. I haven't touched BCAAs for, I don't know, 10 years. I'm doing all right with the old muscle protein synthesis. So so don't worry. Waste of money. Don't spend your money on those. And they taste horrendous. And it's just totally not necessary. And I'll tell you what the logic of them are, just in case somebody tries to flog you them. So BCAAs especially. So... They've got one kind of key amino acid, which is leucine. And leucine essentially spikes MPS. So, you know, I said earlier that protein is broken down into amino acids. The one that is actually most important for muscle protein synthesis is leucine. Okay, so you need about three grams of leucine to spike MPS. So the logic is people go, oh, well, we'll just have leucine then. Like, we'll just have leucine and we'll just have BCAAs. And then like, I've got muscle protein synthesis all the time doesn't quite work like that because yes leucine will start the process it will kick off mps but you still need the other amino acids to actually rebuild the muscle so if you're just taking the amino acids on their own and you don't have the rest of the protein with it it's literally a it's just a pointless task really so don't buy amino acids just have protein protein has enough leucine in to spark and spike mps okay so that's kind of all you need to know with nutrition you know that's a basic guide on it as i mentioned don't stress if you can't stick to it constantly it's not the end of the world but just aim for three or four portions of 25 grams plus of protein per day that's that when it comes to the training stuff you need to progressively overload each time i wouldn't do it justice to kind of give a recommendation on how to train on on a podcast like this because everybody's totally different but depending on how many hours of the week free you have, depending on how much recovery time you need and have, depending on your other commitments, depending, you know, there's so many variables when it comes to discussing a training programme. But broadly, I will say at a high level, if you can resistance train three times a week, do three lots of full body 
each week. This isn't perfect for everybody, I will just say, but this is a good starting place. Three lots of full body each week. If you can commit to four or more, you might then want to split that out. So most common, which is what I do, um, I train about five times-ish a week. Um, So I will just alternate between upper and lower body. If you can train like loads and you're like one of these crazy supernatural people that can recover really well or you you know you're a borderline athlete then you might want to manipulate your training a little bit more but for for most of us we don't need to worry about that and we just need to make sure that we are doing more each time we train where it's possible we need to make sure that we are maximally hitting each of our muscles so you know we're not leaving any out making sure we are constantly kind of over um, not overtraining that's the wrong word but kind of we, we are constantly training our muscles so I don't know let's just say you've got a full body program but you never actually touch your hamstrings that's not going to be great because you'll end up imbalanced for for many reasons and um and yeah that's that's kind of it with training right it's it's pretty pretty simple there, there is a piece on how much training should you do and that's a whole other conversation But I guess for people that are just starting out, how much can you do and how much can you realistically commit to is a good place to start rather than kind of what is the optimal amount for your body. So like for me, for example, I, well, actually, I'm probably quite a bad example because I'm quite busy. But, you know, some people might be able to train every day, um, you know, for five hours, but their body might only be able to recover from, say, like, five sessions a week for one hour everybody's totally different genetics plays a part your nutrition your stress levels your biomechanics like literally so much plays a part in it and you won't actually really know that until you start training and you'll know if you're if you're overtraining and you're overtired you'll be grouchy possibly you know irritable struggle with sleep either that you can't sleep or you sleep too much sometimes um, cognitive function sometimes a bit impaired recurring injuries constant soreness that kind of stuff like you'll you'll know if you're overtraining usually unless you've been overtraining forever and that's just the new norm which some people are like so I wouldn't worry too much about that I would just go with how much you can realistically commit to and consistently commit to as well um, and then yeah if it's kind of three times a week go for three full body sessions any more you can manipulate that a little bit more if you want because you know if you could train six times a week you don't want to be doing six full body six times a week otherwise you'll be absolutely knackered and uh, your muscles will need a little bit of a break so yeah so that's it basically so eating a calorie deficit if you've got a little bit more fat to lose you can eat in a bit more of an aggressive deficit if you're a little bit leaner closer to maintenance do your training consistently progressively overload make that harder over time and then get your protein in four times a day where possible and that is it simple right guys of course there's always going to be ways to absolutely optimize this but for 99% of us that will be just fine so give that a go if you want any help with any of this, just uh, just let me know, right? If you're like, oh, how many calories should I be eating? Or, oh, should I do three lots of full body or four lots of a different training split? Or, oh gosh, I don't know, you know, what foods I've got protein in. I don't know how to structure my protein intake. Guys, just drop me a message. I help you, okay? But but that's it. That's, that's kind of all you need to know around building muscle and losing fat at the same time. So 
hope that's helpful and yeah let me know just uh drop me a message on instagram or send me an email at info at bodybybee.co.uk and i normally get back to people within you know a day or so at tops and yeah i'd be more than happy to help and hope that was useful and i will leave you all there which will hopefully be a relatively short podcast and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day whatever you're up to and yes don't forget to let me know what your favorite pick of mixed sweet is if you took nothing away from this podcast and took that away then it was a successful podcast. Have an amazing day. Speak to you all soon.